0: You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. I want to share something with you before I dive into the passage in Ephesians chapter 3. And it's something that I came across um, between Christmas and New Year's, and it really blessed me. I thought I'll share it with you. Uh, do what you want with it. But uh, because the, the, the scriptures are an ancient text, okay. Um, And whenever we have numbers uh, in, in, you know, in a text, in the Hebrew text, numbers are actually a language within themselves uh, in the Hebrew language. And um, I have a friend, Randall, who is like a total numbers guy. Like he, he, he he lives in numbers, and um, I don't. They're just things that you add. Um, but as I was looking at the scriptures and I began to to, to read some different commentaries, I I came across uh, an article that talked about the, the power of numbers, and the number nine is especially especially strong number. The number nine it it it, it speaks to. Um, the, 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 the closing or the final stages of gestation, it speaks to a you know, pregnancy for nine months and it's a promise. It's always pointing, the number nine points to the birthing of something. Okay? And then after the number nine, we come back to a zero, so 10, 20, 30, 40, okay? which always calls us to the fulfillment of the promise given. 1990 scriptures has a word that's repeated three times, a number that's repeated two, um, two or three times. It, it, it signifies something is utterly and absolutely established. The Hebrews realized that the numbers was a way that, that they could understand the rhythms and the timing of God. Think about this. It's all over the Bible if you know what to look for. Um, from the time of Adam and Eve to the time, that there, were, there were nine generations. And in the fullness of time, God said, it's time to birth a new thing. And, Ab- and um, Noah comes on the scene. Then Noah enters into the narrative of, of, of human history. And then Noah uh, is, there are nine generations after Noah, and, and then Abraham comes in the 10th generation, right? And now we have God actually making a covenant with, with Abraham. And when Abraham was 99, coincident, I think not. The father promises him and Isaac. He speaks of another generation. He speaks of, 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 of what is to come. I, I share, share all that with you because... Um, Jesus died on the ninth hour. And when he died, his death was pointing to his resurrection. And his resurrection is pointing to our resurrection. It's very, very powerful stuff. All of this is simply saying that is it possible in God's calendar that 2020 is a year in which the father will fulfill the words that he has spoken over you in the past. Is it possible that that, that you've been in the process of birthing something and that's why there's so much pain and schmutz in your life, so much struggle because wherever there's birthing, there's blood and sweat and tears. Is it possible Is it possible that in 2020 that that all of a sudden the things that you've been wrestling with get birthed and there's a newness? There's a newness in your relationship with Christ. There's a newness in the dynamic. There's a newness in the way you see and perceive things in the spirit. Is it possible that there's a breakthrough that you've been praying for? It's coming in 2020? Is it possible that thing that you've been dreaming of for your business will come to pass in 2020? It is not just a number. The number itself speaks of two zeros, which speaks of the fulfillment of that which was promised, the birthing of that which you're pregnant with, all right? So I don't know what you want to do with that. Kaylee says you should put that in your pipe and smoke it, okay? Let's go to Ephesians chapter three. We'll dive into this. This is pretty cool. I marvel at how that word right there uh, just beautifully dovetails into this passage. I'm gonna be reading from a translation that I almost never read from. It's the message, the message translation, because I read from all of them, and I love, this one was very beautiful. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says, we trust in him, we trust in Christ, when we trust in Christ, we're free to say whatever needs to be said, bold to go wherever we need to go. So don't let my present trouble on your behalf get you down. He says, be proud. My response is to get on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his Spirit. Not a brute strength, but a glorious strength. Inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door to Him, invite Him in. And I'll ask Him that with both feet planted firmly on love, that you'll be able to take in all, uh, take in with all the followers of Christ, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. I love that. Extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. For you to reach out and experience the breath, test the length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request. In your wildest dreams, he does it not by pushing you around, but by working within us his spirit deeply and gently within us. The, the The context for this text is really quite extraordinary. Paul's in prison. It's not. It's not a day spa. Okay, he's suffering in prison. It stinks in there. He's uncomfortable, but. What Paul also understands is that the, 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 the people in Ephesus are deeply discouraged. And he's trying to encourage them because they're also under a significant amount of distress. They're also in a place of discomfort. He knows that these people are being, they're just getting crushed with discouragement. And so he sends this letter to them. He knows that their businesses, that while full persecution is not happening at Ephesus in this time, but we know that, that their businesses are being singled out. And because they're Christians, they're, they're, they're being boycotted. And, and so the people are under it and they're feeling it. And so Paul says, I know you're feeling it. I know that you're struggling, so I'm going to pray for you. And then he prays this prayer there's not one word in this prayer that mentions their struggle. There's not one word. He doesn't say, God, get me out of here. I hate prison. He doesn't say, Father, stop the injustice. God, deliver those people. Give them favor with their neighbors. He doesn't say, God, for all of their trials, help them. You know what he prays? Instead of praying for the stuff, he says, strengthen them by your spirit. Fill them with glorious inner strength. Let Christ live in them. Help them to know the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. You know what he's demonstrating by this prayer? He is demonstrating the incredible priority of the inner life that you live compared to the outer life that you live. If the inner life that you live is actually filled with hope, if the inner life that you have is full, and full of faith, and even strength, inner life, then it doesn't really matter what your circumstances are. Because if you are strong in your inner life, then you will step out into the world with strength. If you are full of hope in the inner life, then you will step out into the world with hope. And when life comes crashing down on you, it's an inconvenience. It's not a travesty. It's not a devastation. Somehow you know you get through this thing. But if the inside of you is in shambles and it's, and it's been un, unattended, if the inside of you is weak and chaotic, if your internal life is like that, it doesn't matter how wonderful your outer life is, you will still step into your world with weakness and chaos and confusion. Because you are who you are from the inner life out. And so Paul says, let Christ live in your inner life. See, when when you intentionally, and i got to use that word, intentionally begin, develop a, a disciplined life of communion with God, with his word, communion with Jesus, then something happens that you can't tell right away. It doesn't feel like it's happening. It happens because what you do daily is what you become permanently. And when you open your life and say, Jesus right now, uh, teach me with your word, teach me with your presence," I'm opening myself right now because you know what I need. I don't even know what I need, but you create that time then Jesus comes and he takes up residence inside you and then he begins to give you gifts. He gives you spiritual intuition. All of a sudden, you begin to feel things and see things that these eyes cannot see. You begin to to, to feel promptings and leadings that don't make sense to the rational mind. But you know that somehow if you step into them, there's life in them. You begin to, he shares his love with you. He even shares his like with you. All of a sudden you start liking people and you don't even know why you like them. That's his like working off inside of you. You just like them. I don't know. Seems like a nice person. Even like people who aren't nice. He put that inside of you. He gives you ridiculous hope when there's nothing in the natural to hope for. He he, he gives you peace when you should be freaking out. And you walk out into the world full of those goods you don't have to say a blessed thing about Jesus to your friends and they're going to go, oh, where do I get that? Where can I live and walk with that kind of confidence, that kind of hope, that kind of faith? Somehow nothing gets you down. That's what a strength in the inside looks like. It's funny because when God uh, was looking for a uh, king, in 1 Samuel 16, he, he says to Samuel, he said, I'm not looking for what you're looking for. I am looking at the person's inner life because that's what tells me that I can do what I want in their lives. That's what tells me they're ready for me to do in their inner life. That's, that's what I'm looking at. See, right now, all of us are in the middle of circumstances. And some of our circumstances are painful and difficult and crushing. And some of us don't have painful, difficult circumstances. You know, we just have in-laws. And, um, and, and, and so we, we were all in the middle of circumstances, right? But what if the circumstances, while you think this is about out there, all of that stuff, about the people that annoy you and the people that don't like you and the things that oppress you think it's about that, all the while, God thinks it's not about that. The whole while, this is about the transformation of your heart towards him. I don't know, we're, we're, we're stupid and stubborn because sometimes it's not until I am absolutely without any other option that I will go, God, what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? I will try everything in my natural flesh and my natural ego to, to make the thing go away that I'll take care of that. I'm bigger than that. He said, greater is he that is in me than he that is in all the stuff. Just, I'm trying to get your heart lined up. I'm just trying to get your heart aligned towards me. I want you to find me. Is it possible that God's not waiting for your circumstances to change before he can fulfill his will in your life? Rather, a surrendered heart is the signal that he's looking for before he can begin to blow on your calling, to blow on your business, to blow his life on your family. Now, if you're too busy for an inner life, then don't blame God because you're confused and because you're um, discouraged and you're disoriented, okay? Sometimes we think we're, we're blaming him for all this stuff. How much intention, how much, what are you doing to strengthen your inner life? What are you doing? What are you giving him? Two minutes a day? What are you giving him? If you have no strength in here, then I don't blame God that you can't handle what's coming at you out there. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet, the psalmist said, and a light for my path. God says, here's a light. Here, let me give you a light. And then we blame him because we're lost, but we refuse to pick up the light of his word. Isaiah said about Christ when he would come, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. I'm telling you what, God says, I'm I'm giving you the best counselor I got, but you won't talk to him. I'm, I'm giving you the giver of peace, but you don't got time for him either. I'm trying to love you with the Father's love. I gave him to you too. But you're too busy. You see, Paul knew that these people's lives were being pressed, and he knows that your life is being pressed. And so he prays this one thing. He says, The key for you to continue to walk in joy, and with any kind of peace, with any kind of strength, is ultimately not in your circumstances. He said, God make, help them make room for Christ to live large inside of them. You see, the natural human heart is really like a mirror. It has no qualities for illumination in and of itself, okay? The mirror in a dark room is dark. A mirror in a room full of light is light. And, and, and you, you know what, when you don't have an inner life, where your heart is focused on those things that are good and true and trustworthy and lovely, then you simply mirror your circumstances. And when when your circumstances are delightful and wonderful and and encouraging, your heart is light and wonderful and encouraged. But life is not always like that. And then when you are criticized and you are rejected and when uh, life goes south on you and your dog leaves and your horse leaves and your pickup truck leaves and it all leaves. Now, your heart, all it can see is hopelessness and it will mirror that hopelessness. And so you're you're living completely enslaved to your circumstances. And so Paul said, get strengthened in your inner being. He said, he prays this, fill them with the glorious strength. And then he says, help them know the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Now, if I read this right, What Paul is saying, to the degree that you have the capacity to fathom, embrace, and experience God's love, to that degree you're strong. To the degree that you cannot fathom, embrace, or experience his love, to that degree you're not strong. If I'm reading this right, that's what it says. He's saying there is a strength that comes when at the very core of your being, in a private, private place in your soul, when you know that the one who created you adores you. Cannot wait for you to open your eyes in the morning. He's right there. Come on, let's do this day together. I, I, I'm so excited that you're awake. I'm so excited. I love this. I, this verse blows my mind. Ephesians 1.3 Ephesians says, long before he laid the foundations of the earth, Before he even started creating it all. He did it all for this reason. He had us in mind. He settled on you and on me, the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy in his love. Does that not before he created the galaxies, before he created anything that's relevant or relative to our existence, he looked at you and said, you, you, I'm doing it all for you. I, you you're gonna get all of it. I created, I'm gonna, love you, I'm gonna love you full. I'm gonna love you full. It's my new word, love you full. And yet somehow is it that, what's so important? Oh, I have to watch sports. What's so important? He wants to love you full. And what are you doing? You're watching television. He wants to love you full, but you And the whole while, you were the focus of his love. I love... Um, this is it. We have three responses to, 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 to his love. One is you can be indifferent to it. And you can be a Christian and be indifferent to it. I know... Because I do it. I do it all the time. I have seasons in my life where I'm just busy. Don't even have time to breathe in his love. You can be indifferent to it. You can reject his love and just forget that it even exists. Or you can take time and open your soul to it and say, God, I don't even know how to fully open my heart to your love. But but I'm, I'm saying thank you by faith. Thank you. Let me f- experience, I'm gonna thank you for it, I'm gonna embrace it. I love the picture that we get in, in Ezekiel chapter 47. And this is what you look like when you are planted in his love, okay? So, along the banks, of, along both banks of the river, he says, fruit trees of all kinds, red and yellow, black and white, fruit trees of all kinds will grow and their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. And each month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them and their fruit will be for food and their leaves will be for healing. You know what that means? That everywhere you go, every person that talks to you should be able to pull some food or some healing from your life. When you have the love of God flowing, flowing, open, flowing, flowing, you just smell different. When my kids are like 33 and 31, but when the boys were six and four, uh, they'd be in the bathtub and I remember one time we had company over, and, and my oldest comes out of the bathroom, buck naked, right into the living room, just no concern for nothing, you know. And he's carrying this wicker basket, this long wicker basket my wife had. It's full of bath beads. And he says, Dad, uh, Matt and I, can we eat these? Are these candy? And I said, no, 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 they're not candy. They're... Their uh, mom, mom puts them in the tub and then she smells nice. And, uh, and I said, yeah, they're that. And so put them back, you know, just didn't even really explain it to them except for don't do it, you know. And we got busy visiting with our friends and we could hear them having fun, laughing up there. And then finally I decided to check in on them. And when I, when I went into the bathroom, the, the door, oh, it, was, it was closed. And so I opened the door and it slammed into the air these two little hosers had taken the entire wicker basket and dumped it into the bath. And they had discovered that when the skins dissolve a little bit and you huck them at your brother, they explode. <laughs> and so here they are having a war, one sitting on that end of the tub, this end of the tub. You just, all the ammo's floating in the water, you know what? And when they finish hucking them at each other, they they, they throw them at the mirror. And and they're sliding down the mirror. You know, there's probably five or six on there. They're in the toilet. They started shooting hoops in the toilet. Like there there wasn't a square foot of the bathroom that had been not marked by bath beads dissolving on the walls. And the water, oh Lord, purple. Purple water, purple water with an oil slick on it. And here they are. I mean, they're doing what boys do in the tub. They're drinking their bath water. They're swimming in it. They're spitting it at each other. We have got oil and water everywhere. And the, the, the smell made my eyes water. And so you take them out. Come on, I'm not even going to wash their hair. It's slicked back so shiny that I'm not even going to touch it. You, you, you try to towel them off, but nothing sticks to their bodies because they're full of grease and we put them in their onesies and put them in bed and take care of the bathroom when the company leaves. The the next day we went to Sears. This actually happened. This is in Calgary. We went to Sears and Marcy's looking for something and I lost the kids, which isn't uncommon. I lost them a lot. Um, And I'm walking the aisles knowing we'll find them eventually. You know what? And I remember thinking, where are they? And I stopped. I went, Wait. I could smell them. I could smell them. I knew they were close. I could smell them a day later, right? And I found them. And let me tell you this. The more you rest in his love, without even trying, you smell like righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. You just do. You just smell different. You smell like hope. You smell like faith. You smell like strength. And all you have to do is just get in his presence. So some of you need to just stop complaining about money. You need to stop complaining about the people who've treated you poorly. You need to stop complaining about all of the circumstances that aren't working well. Stop railing at them. Stop focusing on all of the stuff out here and retreat to your innermost being and take a bath. Retreat to the innermost being and just find a way to, re- to remind yourself of his extravagant love. Remind yourself of... of, 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 of of his faithfulness. And when you begin to, the, the way that you appropriate is you claim it for you. I'm pretty, pretty upset about stuff going on, but I'm asking you, I'm opening myself, and I'm claiming your peace for my, that's how you appropriate it. I'm, I'm claiming, Father, your faithfulness over my business and over my children. I'm claiming that. And you get in there and you just soak in it. And you read the word, and when it talks about love, and claim that for yourself. I'm going to tell you one more thing and then I'm done. There's five things that Paul prays for these people. He prays that God would strengthen them through his spirit. He prays that they, Christ may dwell in their hearts. He prays that they would grasp the extravagant love of God. And he prays that they would be filled to the full measure of fullness of God. And everything that he's praying for them in this letter And in another letter that he wrote to the Colossians, he said they already have. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who's, who's the head over every ruler and authority. He's already given it to you. Why is Paul praying this for their lives? It's because you have to appropriate what was given to you. You have to claim it for your own. You have to be, and one of the ways we claim it is we thank the Lord for it. Thank you that you love me. That's how you appropriate love. Thank you for your, thank you when you read a verse that talks about he'll never forsake you. Thank you, Jesus. That's how you appropriate that kind of a verse. I'm just thankful for that. He said, Christ, I'm praying that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. You still gotta do the opening of the door. You still gotta do that. That's something that you do. That's how you make room for him. It's one thing to be given 100 acres of land. It is completely another thing to go out and experience and explore the beauty of those 100 acres. It's one thing to be given a truth it's another thing to claim that truth for your own life by faith more times than not by faith. I'm going to invite the band uh, to come. So how do you open your heart? My last point. How do, you, how do you actually open yourself for the love of God to come? How do you open yourself to experience all that God has for you? Okay, now I, I got this. I came up with an illustration uh, it's got holes in it, but we'll go with it for now, okay? How do you open up your heart? See, I have, I have one brother and two sisters. When we were little, we, we, my parents struggled. I remember lots of stress as an immigrant family trying to provide for the kids, trying to make a go of it. And I remember, I remember especially my father was, was, was very stressed. We always knew that mom loved us cuz mom fed us and 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 somehow she was able to express love better. My dad on the other hand was didn't express love easily. And um and so we 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 just you know I'm sure someone told us that dad loves you. I don't know some and so we all my my, my siblings and I we just said okay yeah we Kind of figured out that God, that dad loves us. One thing we knew is that my dad loved his horses. My dad raised horses my whole life. He, he loved auctions. He loved everything to do with horses. Because after he came home, he would eat and then he'd go to the barns and we wouldn't see him again. And that was every day. So we knew he loved the horses. We assumed he loved us. And life just went on. In my early teens, I was kinda messed up. I struggled for any sense of identity and connection. And I decided if, I gotta figure, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the one that my dad's favorite. I'm, I'm gonna go and find him. And so I started going out to the barns with him after supper. And I'm hanging out there with my dad. And we, you know what, we clean out the barns, we do this stuff. And little by little, he starts talking to me about what it was like in Germany with his horses, the horses that his father had. And little by little, he starts bringing me into his horse world and I'm starting to love it. And from the time I was like 14 to the time I was like 22, we'd spend thousands of hours. We went to auctions. I loved it. We bought saddles, we bought tack, we bought harnesses, we bought carriages, we bought horses. And then we'd break these horses together and we'd fix fences together. And we spent spent most of my teenage years in the evenings together doing this horse stuff and I absolutely loved it. And guess what? Somehow, on route, I fell in love with my dad. I began to experience him, the tender side to him. You know, all those hours in the truck, hauling horses, all those hours in the mountains, riding horses. He, 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 he became tender towards me. And I experienced a love and a tenderness that none of my siblings had the privilege of experiencing. You say, what has that got to do? What has that got to do with God? I think that if you will begin to look for the things that God is doing in your life and start to align yourself with them. Find the things that God loves and love those things. Find the things that God is doing and do those things. And as you walk in those things, then all of a sudden the relationship actually just happens much more. In multiple chapters in my life, it hasn't always looked exactly the same, but I had a sense this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. I start walking with him, and trust me, I need him. I need him. I thank you. There's a miracle. There's a blessing. There's a need. There's a miracle. There's a blessing. There's a need. And we are starting to experience faithfulness. I'm experiencing God in profound ways. So if you want to know your father, if you want to experience your father, don't go to the barn. Go to the book. Don't go to the barn. Step into what you do know that he's calling you to and just start walking in that. I'm pretty sure this, it's really tough to miss his will. Just start, start walking and keep your heart rate. Right. He'll get you there. I don't think it's that complicated. Start walking, keep your heart rate. Right. Look for someone to love because that's what he's doing. He's loving someone right now and love them. And you begin to experience him. For some of you, um, life has been intense. And you can identify with the with Paul who's in prison. You can identify with the Ephesians who have been persecuted. And and life has been hard. And everything in your natural. This position wants to rail against your circumstances. And Paul says, yeah, that yeah, knock yourself out, but when you're done all that, if you really want to invest your energy well, retreat to a place where you can go and begin to soak in his faithfulness, in his provision, in his promise for redemption. Go soak in him and in his love until that is actually the, the, the one place that makes sense in your life, even though it's contrary to everything that's happening around you. So Father, this morning, we give you thanks for your word. For those that are struggling today, Jesus, be their center, be their strength. Be bigger inside of them than the problem outside of them. Father, I pray that for those of us who, all this talk of love, we kind of know it on our heads, but we really, really are not experiencing it. I'm asking Jesus that 2020 would be a new year of experiencing, not just thinking and having a certain amount of cognitive connection to that concept, but Father, that we would actually know by your Spirit the love of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to audio from the house. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.